Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. And today we are bringing back one of our most popular guests of all time, Rick Sharga, who is the founder and CEO of CJ Patrick Company. He was formerly the EVP of Market Intelligence at Adam. If you've been listening to the show or you're listening to the bigger news section on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Show, you've probably heard Rick a few times because he is a incredible analyst and knows the housing market as good as truly anyone that I've ever met. And as part of his new company, he and RCN Capital, uh, you may remember the name of that company because we had uh, their CEO, Tim Harriage, on the other day. Um, they produced a new survey that tracks the sentiment of real estate investors. And these are typically smaller real estate investors, retail investors like you and me. Um, and I think it's one of the first of its kind. Uh, you know, we hear when I look at data, when I look at surveys, it's usually for home buyers or it's usually for real estate agents. And there aren't all that many data sources that focus specifically on the type of investors that we all are. And so when Rick and RCN Capital put this out and talked about how investors are feeling, what they're doing in this type of market, we had to get Rick back on to talk about it. So we're going to jump straight into our interview with Rick right after this break. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Rick Sharga, welcome back to On The Market. Thanks for being here. Always a pleasure to join you, Dave. Looking forward to another good conversation. I think having you three times makes you a regular. You're officially one of our regulars now, and I don't think we have many. So thank you. We appreciate you always coming. I appreciate that uh, opportunity to be one of your regulars. It's, uh, it's, it's quite an honor. I think the last time we had you on the show is about the beginning of the year. And just curious what you have been up to over the last six or seven months. Well, on a, on a personal note, I've actually started my own company, uh, CJ Patrick Company. I'm, I'm no longer with the, the, the data company I, I was with when we last spoke. And I'm, I'm providing market intelligence for companies in the real estate and mortgage business, currently working with five different companies in, in different parts of the, the business. And so that's been keeping me pretty busy. It's been, uh, it's been a, a very 
uh, hectic but but ultimately fulfilling transition and and uh, I'm getting into areas of the market that I really hadn't explored that deeply before so uh, that's really been good and of course I've been keeping my eye on the on the housing uh, and commercial real estate markets which uh, never cease to fascinate and and uh, and amaze Awesome. Well, well. First of all, congratulations on starting your new company. That's a, a huge milestone and achievement. And uh, would love to just jump jump right in. You know, you said you have been doing a lot of research, looking into different areas of the market. What areas have been of particular interest to you recently? Well, I've been looking at the private lending industry, uh, what's going on with real estate investors, which I know is kind of germane to what Bigger Pockets does. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's been kind of an interesting ride over the last year or so, uh, as those investors have had to, to kind of recalibrate to, to, to be able to accommodate much higher financing charges than, than they were looking at, uh, for the last couple of years. And, uh, so, so one of the trends that we've been watching pretty closely is, uh, how many investors have been shifting their strategy from fix and flip, uh, to, to buy and hold, uh, trying to take advantage of the rental market. And that's particularly uh, important because uh, by, by different companies' estimates, as many as 20 to 25% of the people who wanted to buy a house have sort of voted themselves off the island for the time being. They can't afford to buy that house because of higher mortgage rates uh, and are now looking for a place to rent. It just sort of stands to reason that if you're looking to buy a house, you'd probably rather rent a house than an apartment if, if all else is equal. So that's been one of the biggest trends we've been keeping an eye on over the last uh, last 12 months or so. I'm surprised to hear that because with high financing costs, it does feel at least that cash flow is more difficult to find. And we have guests on the show all the time who are flipping or doing sort of value add projects, and they seem to be doing pretty well right now. But then on the other hand, you know, I saw this report from Redfin the other day that said that, you know, where there's these huge amounts of flippers who are losing money. So I'm just curious uh, if you could shed some insight on that juxtaposition. Yeah, the, the people that are losing money aren't anxious to go on your show and brag about it. Um, <laughs> okay, the, those are the ones who keep declining us. Yeah, but but yeah, well, yeah. There's there's some industry data that kind of supports what 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 you're hearing in, in both directions, really. On the fix and flip side, um, the company I used to work for, Adam Data, put out their their Q1 results. Um, so flipping through March, and there were about seventy thousand flips across the country in March. That's the lowest number we've seen in over two years. Um, and it's the fourth consecutive quarter where there were fewer flips than the quarter before. Hmm. So that that's a pretty significant, and, and we're, we're talking about flipping activity that's probably down by 40, 45,000 flips a quarter during that period of time. The other thing that, that Adam's been reporting on is that the gross margins for flipping have been coming down uh, over those uh, previous quarters. Now, when I talk about gross margins, it's what you paid for the property versus what you sold the property for. That doesn't include your costs. So what were your repair costs? What were your labor costs, your insurance, your tax, your other holding costs? And most importantly, you know, what were your financing costs for, for that period of time? Uh, and I've talked to a number of, of seasoned, very sophisticated flippers uh, over the past few months. Um, even, even some of the most sophisticated, most experienced flippers have lost money on individual deals because they just bought at the wrong time mm -hmm. at the wrong price. And the prospective buyers of those flips now have a lower price threshold than what they had a year ago because their mortgage rates have doubled. So 
it, it, I think there's a bit of a transitional period. Um, that said, this quarter was the first one in, in several quarters where we saw gross margins start to go up. Um, that could be an indication along with uh, home prices starting to go up a little bit as well that we might have bottomed out on the flipping market. You raise a good point on the single family rental market in that if you just do the math today and you're, you're financing the purchase, it's harder to make that cash flow work uh, unless you're really, really rigorous about the buy and, and making sure you're, you're, you're paying the right amount of money for that. On the other hand, um, if you're adding to an existing portfolio of rental properties that are already profitable, the likelihood is that mortgage rates, interest rates are going to go down over the next 18 to 24 months. So if you can even break even on a new property right now, uh, odds are you'll be able to raise the rent over the next couple of years and probably refinance into a lower monthly payment. So it, it maybe is more of a future opportunity for some of these rental property owners than it is a, an immediate market profitability um, initiative. That's a really good point that for newbies, that's probably not a desirable if, it, if it's your first rental, that's probably not a desirable strategy to come out of pocket and use some of your income from your job to cover your investment. But, you know, if you're earning a six or seven or eight percent cash and cash return, maybe better across your portfolio, maybe you knock that down a percentage to sort of banks a couple of deals. Uh, that's a very good uh, piece of advice there. And, and in some cases, you're able to get a, a property below dis, below market uh, to, to that already is a tenant in place. Uh, because there are other investors who are struggling a little bit candidly. So that's uh, and I suspect we're going to see a fairly significant number of failed Airbnb properties coming back to market mm -hmm. uh, from people who thought they were going to be real estate tycoons, uh, but but timed the market uh, incorrectly when they, they they tapped into their equity to buy that one uh, short term rental property that, that you know, everybody else was buying. Well, I do want to get to that because that, that's been a very uh, frequent topic of conversation recently. I bet. But, uh, you know, one of the main reasons we wanted to bring you in, aside from your excellent company, of course, uh, is that your uh, your new company created an investor sentiment survey, um, I think with a partner, RCN Capital. Um, and I love this because, you know, it's one thing to look at data, which you and I obviously do, that looks at sort of holistically what's going on with rent, what's going on with home prices. But it's not always easy to get data about from the people who are on the ground actually buying and selling deals. So can you give us a high level summary of what you found? Yeah. And I don't think any of it will be a, a huge shock to, to the, the folks tuning in today. Um, investor sentiment right now is that it's a tougher market to invest in today than it was a year ago. That's probably not a huge shock. Um, Investors being optimists by nature, the, the majority of them think things will, will be getting better or at least no worse than they are today over the next six months. Um, and, and that ties in pretty directly to what, what we've really seen uh, as the impacts of, of higher financing costs driven by the, the, the actions of the Federal Reserve. And it's also uh, indicated by what they see as the biggest challenges to being a successful investor today. The, the number one most frequently cited challenge was the higher cost of financing today. Um, the second one was the lack of inventory. So again, the, 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 the inventory issue is something we've probably talked about every time I've been on your podcast. Uh, and it's, it's actually gotten worse rather than better. 
Yeah. And will probably continue to get worse uh, because 90% of mortgage holders today have a mortgage with an interest rate of 6% or lower, and 70% have a mortgage rate of 4% or lower. And these folks just are not going to be motivated to put their properties on the market until interest rates come down pretty significantly. And that's keeping the, the number of existing homes available for sale at, at you know historically low levels, which makes it tough not just for consumers, but also for investors looking to buy and either flip or rent out those properties. Great. I do. I do want to to get back to that question of inventory because I, I have a specific question for you. But before we do, when you when you talk about the survey and investor sentiment, people think it's generally a worse environment than it was a year ago. What's the scale there? Does that mean we're going from, you know, for every hundred investors that were optimistic last year, we were going to fifty, or, or how dramatic is the shift? It was. It was a, a mixed bag. Um, if you looked at at worse or the same as it was a year ago, you were probably looking at close to seventy percent between those two categories, uh, and and the balance said it was uh, you know maybe marginally better or or better. Um, so it was it was more of a split with a little bit of a an edge on the worse than it was a year ago. Um, we did see if, if you're looking out into the future, uh, and this is kind of interesting given what we were just talking about. Flippers are much more optimistic going forward than hmm. the rental property owners. And that could be the, the cash flow issue you talked about. I, I believe 38% of flippers expect the market to be better in six months uh, and 19% expect it to be worse. On the other hand, only about 19% of rental property uh, investors expect the market to be better and hmm. about 31% expect it to be worse. So the, the, the challenge here is that this is the first of these surveys that RCN Capital and, and my company have done together. So I don't have a lot of historical data to compare this to. Uh, we'll have more of that as we go forward in subsequent quarters. But um, it, yeah, I mean, some of the divergences between the type of, of investor uh, and the size of investor were interesting. I, I mentioned that the two biggest challenges cited both now and six months from now uh, are, are high cost of financing and limited inventory. But if you look at bigger investors, investors who buy more than 11 properties a year, they're really concerned going forward about uh, the difficulty they have in securing a loan, Interesting. which wasn't the case with your, your mom and pop investors. I don't know why that is. It could be a sign that the regional banks, the community banks that those bigger investors work with have tightened up credit. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to just kind of peel the onion a little bit and see what's inside the different layers of, of the investor community. And is that the difficulty? Uh, I'm looking at your survey. I just want to make clear to everyone that difficulty securing a loan is not is a different category than the high cost of financing. It absolutely is. And I think that's a crucial distinction here that not only are investors struggling with the higher cost of financing, but even if the investor is willing to take on a seven or eight percent mortgage. Banks might not be able to willing to provide that loan. Yeah, and, and I think banks is the key word there. It's it's interesting too. I've talked to I mean R RCN Capital is clearly a private lender, but I've talked to the CEOs from other private lending companies. Uh, and anecdotally, uh, if you're an investor with a good track record, probably not that difficult for you to get a loan. But if you haven't done this before. You know, unless you have everything lined up perfectly, it, it probably is a difficult time to get a loan just because uh, of the risk factor involved. And, 
And that higher cost of financing actually it, it, it makes the risk that much more uh, much more of an issue uh, from, from a lending perspective. That makes sense. Do you think the the other divergence between flippers and rental properties is sort of a proxy for home price outlook? Because I would imagine that some rental property investors are wishing prices would come down because it would reset that rent to price ratio that anyone looking for cash flow is hoping for, whereas flippers obviously benefit from a market that is appreciating. That could definitely be the case. Uh, although pretty much across the board, there wasn't a huge statistical difference here. Most of the investors uh, expect kind of nominal price gains over the next six months. Uh, very, very few expect to see a, a price decline. Uh, and that was true whether they were flippers or they were uh, rental property owners. And and by the way, they it from all outward appearances, it looks like they might be right. Um, uh, according to National Association of Realtors, we, we've had four consecutive months of uh, median prices falling for existing home sales. Uh, and certainly new home sales prices are off year over year. But June, uh, June looks like it might be uh, an inflection point. And uh, we, we saw June at least come up from May numbers, even though they were down slightly year over year. But last June was the high point in terms of, of median prices uh, for a home ever. Uh, and we're only off by 0.9% from that this June. So it, it does look like prices may have bottomed out and they're on their way back up. That's wild, even as interest rates have gone up a little bit, uh, at least you know if you looked at the three-month rolling average or anything, and they've, they've gone up a little bit um, into high eights, seven percent. Yeah. They've been, well, again, on the investor side, yeah, eight, nine, 10, 12. Yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> on the consumer side, they're up, but, but they've been trading within a really narrow band for the last few months, somewhere between six and a half and seven percent. If you do the math on a purchase, your the difference in your monthly payment between six and a half and seven percent really isn't, it's, it's kind of nominal. Uh, so if you can afford to buy a property with a six and a half percent loan, you could probably afford to buy a property at seven, unless you were really right on the margins. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still of the school that believes that that the Fed is probably done or almost done with its price hikes, its its Fed fund rate hikes. And once that settles down, I do believe you'll start to see mortgage rates come down uh, for the balance of the year. But the other thing that um, that people uh, viewing this or listening to this should keep in mind is that historically, every time we've had a reset, whether it's home prices going up or down, or it's, it's interest rates going up or down, there's always a period of adjustment. Um, and, and I think we're, we're seeing the adjustment taking place in the housing market today. So we're, we're, we're seeing buyers who had sticker shock uh, six months ago when prices doubled, when mortgage rates doubled, um, kind of resetting their expectations uh, and, and maybe now bidding on a, a less expensive house with that higher mortgage rate. Mm. And the other thing that's happened is candidly, even though prices are appearing to stabilize, the volume of sales is way off. Um, I, I, had, I had forecast at the beginning of the year, we'd see 4.3, 4.4 million existing home sales. Uh, the June numbers from NAR came in at 4.28 million for the year. So we're, we're kind of right there, but that's down from 5.2 million last year and 6.2 million the year before. So that's kind of the trade-off is, is prices appear to be stabilizing, but the volume is way off. Just for context, Rick, what 
do you think a normal level of sales volume is? Normally for our population, it, we'd probably be a little over 5 million, somewhere between five and six. I think people have to keep in mind, that's a great question, Dave. I think people have to keep in mind uh, that 2021 was a bit of an aberration. We had one of the highest right. um, highest years of home sales ever. And 4 million is, is a little on the low side. So uh, again, given our demographics, we'd probably be somewhere between five and six million uh, units sold in a, in a year. Well, I was I was trying to save this question for later, but now we're on a good t- time to ask this because we talked a little bit about this sort of low inventory, how that's, you know, clearly in some way contributing to the lack of sales volume as is higher interest rate demand has left the market. We see fewer mortgage purchase applications, all sorts of indicators here. To me, I just keep wondering like how this fixes itself. Like, cause if, if the main reason inventory is low is the lock in effect, and there's a lot of reason to believe that it is. And I've not seen anyone forecast mortgage rates going back to three or four or even four and a half percent. When, you know, how long could it possibly take for inventory to start approaching pre-pandemic levels, if ever? Uh, a couple of ways to answer that, Dave. It's it's a, a really important question. Um, the the one scenario that I keep seeing people promote on YouTube uh, that makes me want to strangle them: uh, <laughs> shadow inventory. It's it's the it's yeah. There's going to be we're going to have a glut of homes. I'm like yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> And, and, and the meanwhile, the housing market is going to crash and, and home values are going to lose 20, 30, 40% of value. And if, if anybody who's watching this um, is tempted to sign up for those services, you know, call Dave, call me, we'll talk you off the ledge. It's just, there's nothing in play, none of the dynamics in place that would support that. That would be one way of correcting the issue, but, but that's, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. I think the most likely scenario is this plays out slowly over the next two to four years. And, and we saw a similar situation happen back in the 80s where we had really, really boring home sales for a number of years as, as the market basically caught up with you know, higher mortgage rates, uh, higher home prices. And it, it just sort of plays out over time. And the reason it plays out over time is because of inflation and because of wage growth. Uh, at some point, the numbers aren't quite as daunting. Um, and, and when we talk about this market, you know, and you look at affordability, which is really what drives a lot of this. There's there's three legs of the stool. Uh, the one we're all talking about right now is mortgage rates, uh, and you really can't overstate how big a role low mortgage rates played in the boom that we went through, or how big a role doubling those rates had in in the way volume has just dropped off a cliff. The second is home prices, and the third is is wage growth. Right now is the first time I remember in many years where wage growth is actually outpacing home prices. Mm-hmm. So home prices are, are have been declining and are actually, if they're rising now, they're rising at a lower pace than wage growth. Um, so if if mortgage rates came down even a little bit and home prices plateaued or, or started going up at 2 3% a year and wages grew at 5% a year, over the next few years, affordability would feel a little better and you'd start to see more of these, these properties come to market, more buyers come to market. Do you have any concern, though, if mortgage rates come down a little bit, then it's just going to fuel more demand uh, and not necessarily more supply? If mortgage rates come down just a little bit, say they go down to six, uh, you probably will have more demand coming to market than supply, which will have the effect of raising prices uh, and making affordability even more challenging. Now, that in itself could get some people that are on the fence to list their properties 
mm-hmm. because of the amount of equity they have. Um, and, and, and that, that's true. That, that might be a carrot that gets some people to, to move forward. I think once you get interest rates down to five and a half percent, maybe, uh, or, or somewhere in those mid fives, you have a lot of people who will then look at the market and say, okay, five and a half isn't that far away from four as, as, as far as interest rates go. Maybe now would be a good time to sell my property mm-hmm. uh, because prices are high and, and, and I can tolerate that. But, but that delta between you know two and a half percent mortgage and a seven percent mortgage uh, is just too big a financial hurdle and a psychological hurdle for most people to get by. And that, that was going to be the third scenario that is I, I do believe we have an unusually high spread between what mortgage rates could be and what they actually are. Um, for, for people who don't don't know this, mortgage rates for a 30-year mortgage are typically based loosely, on the yields on a 10-year U.S. Treasury bond. And they're usually about a point and a half to two points different. So if you looked at the yield on a Treasury bond today, which is, let's say, 3.8%, a normal mortgage would be no higher than 5.8%, might even be 5.3%. But because of risk and volatility due to what the Federal Reserve has been doing, there's actually a three-point difference. So today's mortgage rates are are over 6.8%, which is unusually high. If if the Fed settled down and we could just take the risk and volatility out of the market, we could see interest rates come down by a full point without anything else happening. And, and that would make a material difference in the market. I think those are all pretty realistic scenarios. It's very hard to predict. Do you think there's one in particular you think is more likely than the others? If I had to bet money on it, I would I would say we're in for two to four years of pretty unexciting home sales. Volume, um, volume. While things normalize, uh, and and that's unfortunate timing because we have the largest cohort of young adults between the ages of twenty five and thirty four uh, in U.S. history, and that's prime age for household formation. Um, and if they can't find something they can afford to buy, they'll they'll look for something to rent. So I do think there will be opportunities for investors. I think investors are going to have to remain flexible about their approach whether they're, they're rental property investors or fix and flip investors or wholesalers that are accommodating either of those, uh, those types of investors. But if, if I had to bet on most likely scenario, it would be that mortgage rates come down gradually. Prices do not come down gradually. They keep going up at maybe a slower rate. Uh, and, and wage growth continues to be healthy, except if we have a recession when they're likely to come down a little bit and then rebound. Uh, and that just that's a, a, a combination of, of of things that tends to lead to a pretty slow sales volume housing market for a few years. So I want to get back to the the, the survey um, that you did. Obviously, we're talking in broad national level trends right now, but I'm curious if you saw any regional, statewide discrepancies in sentiment uh, in your survey. Um, we didn't. We didn't really cross-reference individual state uh, issues with, with the sentiment because there weren't enough participants in, in any given state to really have a statistically significant number. What I did notice, if you look at where they're investing today versus where they're planning to invest, uh, we did see a little bit of, of a decline in states like California, uh, like Arizona. Hmm. Uh, so some of the, some of the Western and, and Northwestern states a little bit less activity in Florida, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. 
Uh, and, and some of the mid-Atlantic and Midwest states saw a little bit of an increase in planned activity. So uh, I, I don't know the reason for it, but one of the states that popped uh, for six months from now was Virginia. So uh, I, I guess in, investors maybe maybe know something that the rest of us don't about the housing market there. Yeah, I guess my theory is always that the the more affordable markets right now are going to be the more popular ones. But I think Virginia, like on state level, is still relatively expensive compared to a lot of other parts of the country. It's it's right about in the middle of the pack in terms of of, of expense levels. Um, you know, on the northern part of the state, you have uh, your proximity to D.C., which does tend to inflate home prices a little bit in northern Virginia. Um, parts in the South really aren't, aren't that expensive at all, uh, and certainly parts in the West, West of the state. Um, one of the things that might be happening also, Dave, is that investors uh, might be following some of the migration patterns we're seeing from a, a population standpoint. Mm-hmm. We saw huge swings into states like, or initially states like Utah and Arizona and, and Idaho, the Carolinas, Texas, Florida, uh, when COVID hit and people were, were able to work from home. Uh, and we're looking for more affordable markets to buy properties in. And that inflated home prices in some of those markets to where we're seeing kind of a, a resetting now in, in states like uh, Arizona and, and Idaho, which probably had, had price increases that outpaced uh, market realities. But we are seeing population growth and job growth continue in, in some of those southeastern and midwestern states, even states like Texas in the south. Just about every market in Texas is showing growth, except for Austin right now, uh, both in job growth and, and price growth. And again, Austin was one of those high flyers during the, the big days of the pandemic. So it could be that, you know, if I'm an investor, if I can track where population is growing and where jobs are growing, you know, those are two indicators that you could probably have a housing market that's growing as well, both for, for sales uh, and for rentals. Uh, and, and it might be that investors are paying attention to those trends. I would think so. I mean, we talk about it enough on the show, so maybe <laughs> I would love to think that we're moving markets here, but I, I don't think that we're we're exactly at that scale yet. But I mean, it makes sense. Like you know, if you're if you're looking for high probability rent and price appreciation places to follow migration and household growth, uh, you know, those are things that drive demand. And the inverse of that is true too. I mean, California lost a net of three hundred thousand people last year. Um, and the, the government used to poo-poo that by saying, oh, it's all retirees. Um, and now what we're seeing is, is young college graduates uh, also hmm. leaving the state. Uh, I have an adult son living at home. And he and his uh, soon-to-be fiance, who's a lawyer, uh, are talking about what state they may need to move to in order to ever own a house. It's crazy. So yeah. I, I do think there's, there's some of that going on. Uh, and, you know, you look at, at, at prices in coastal California, the Pacific Northwest, Parts of Arizona, they're they're down ten percent year over year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're an investor, do you want to bet that you're coming at the bottom of the market in California and still paying eight hundred and thirty thousand dollars for a house, or would you rather take some of that cash and move it to a a market that looks more poised for growth? That definitely makes sense. You're, are you you're in California? I'm in Southern California, Orange County. Okay, well, probably still a nice place to live. It's a wonderful place to live for a lot of reasons, but you know, candidly, my wife and I are talking about where we might move when I retire. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a very real-world scenario for a lot of Californians. So congratulations on the survey. This is awesome. I love seeing this. Is the plan to do this periodically so you can sort of track sentiment over time? Yeah, we'll be fielding our next survey in August, pushing out the results in September. Uh, we want to have this out there available quarterly. Uh, 
We surveyed over 300 investors for this one. Um, I'm uh, hopeful that we'll, we'll get more interest as we, we go forward from people that want to participate in this and share their views. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it's going to be a quarterly, quarterly event. Great. Well, let me know uh, when you do. We'd love to to take a look at the results um, and have you back to discuss them because I think this is really helpful to our particular audience. As we said, sort of at the top of the show, there's tons of information about home buyers, and you know those trends are somewhat helpful, but really understanding the the niche of uh, you know what all of our colleagues and peers is, you know, small real estate investors are doing is, is super helpful. Yeah, we, we thought that was missing from the market. And that's why RCN and, and my company decided that it was it was time to initiate something like this. All right, great. Well, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you every time we come here for On the Market. If people want to learn more about the survey or your new company, where should they do that? You can always find me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days. Um, my handle is just Rick Sharga. You can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. The report's available on the RCN Capital website. That's just rcncapital.com. And you can find more information about my company at cjpatrick.com. Awesome. And I did actually, that was one question I want to ask you, because I, I, you were one of the original people I started following on Twitter. I was very late to, to Twitter. Um, and I was wondering, are you on threads now? Are you threading? I'm not threading yet. I'm waiting to see how that actually shakes out. And I'm also waiting to see what what uh, Mastermind Musk does with with, uh, with Twitter if he winds up blowing that up. But uh, Yeah, you got to call it X now as of a few days ago. Right now, I, my social channels are are, uh, are Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and I'm still on Facebook. So, uh, but And that's kind of a mix of personal and, and professional. Rick, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Rick again for joining us for this episode of On the Market. We always appreciate it when he's here. It is great. I, I really like when we have uh, having these repeat guests on because it's really interesting to see how their thoughts evolve over time. I'm curious if you like having these repeat guests on and who your favorite guests are. If you want to give us that feedback, you can do that in a couple of different places. You can either do it on YouTube. Uh, you can leave us a positive review and tell us who your favorite guests are. Are, or you can always hit me up on Instagram where I'm at the data Della. We'd love to hear which type of guests you favor and which ones you would like us to bring back on future episodes. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll see you for the next episode of On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. 
So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.